Today, we conclude our series on celebrating the Great Commission. The last words that Jesus gave to his disciples after he had risen from the dead and before he had ascended into heaven. Words encouraging, commanding, and commissioning them to go and tell people what they had seen, what he had done, to make other disciples and to share the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand. So like Bryce and I have talked about the last couple weeks, only 17% of the church, nation, or around the world knows what the Great Commission is. So if you feel like we're drilling this into you this week, that's okay. We want to make sure that Orchard Hill knows what the Great Commission is. So we're going to say the words of the Great Commission found in Matthew 28 together. Say these words with me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Amen. That's our commission. Not just the original disciples on the mountain with Jesus who received those words, but us as his disciples today too. And there's a reason we call this series the Great Commission Celebration and not just the Great Commission series. Because our invitation, our call from Jesus to be a part of what he's doing in the world, to bring the good news that has changed our lives out into a world in need of hope, is a reason to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah it, it, the answer is it is. Yes, it's a reason to celebrate. Sharing the good news with the world that there is hope in the midst of these dark times is a reason to celebrate Orchard Hill. And that's why we're here, and that's why our series is called what it is. So as we wrap up the series today, let's recap. Let's talk about what we have learned. Week one, we talked about why we go. Why we go out and faithfully live the Great Commission, why we share our faith. And that's because of who our God is at his heart. He is a missional God. From before the foundations of the earth, he was working out ways to bring those lost and in darkness to him. And we reflect the heart of our God, so we live on mission too. And last week, we learned where we go. We go everywhere, right? We sow the seeds everywhere. If you didn't get seeds last week, there's some by either of the entrances. Grab them as you go out as a reminder that we sow the seeds of the gospel. We sow the seeds everywhere we go, near, far, at home, away, local, global. We go out everywhere faithfully with the good news of the gospel. And this week we answer one final question. And that question is, how do we go? How, as God's people, do we go out to live this great commission to bring the good news to the ends of the earth? This morning the prophet Isaiah is going to answer that question for us. So turn with me to Isaiah 6, if you would, starting in verse 1. If you need to know the reference number for what page is on in your Bible, it's in your bulletin on that front page. I'll give you a second to turn there as we get ready to read the word of the Lord together. Okay, Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. 
each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook as the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid to waste. But... As the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, brothers and sisters? Heavenly Father, we come before you today to hear this word, to receive it, to store it in our hearts, to understand for the purpose of glorifying you, for the purpose of going out to teach it to others. So this morning, would you teach us? Would you give us words of faithfulness? Not just to keep for ourselves, but to go and share with the world. And it's in Jesus' name, your family at Orchard Hill prays. Amen. Amen. So, the Great Commission and Isaiah. If you're like me, you may at first be asking the question, Pastor Laura, what in the world, yes, yeah, Amy, what? (laughs) What in the world does this Old Testament prophet and this weird passage we just read have anything to do with the Great Commission series that we're capping off today and celebrating? And that's a fair question. But I believe that today, as we faithfully, Lord willing, go through this text and unpack it, you'll see that it not only addresses the question of why we go out into the Great Commission, but it answers our question today of how we do that and how we address Jesus's last words. And it all begins with this vision that Isaiah has of our God. Our passage kicks off and Isaiah is looking at something amazing. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. Isaiah is having what what we presume to be a vision of the Holy One of Israel, as he refers to him. Isaiah sees God in his glory, seated on his throne, in all his purity, 
in all his holiness, in all his righteousness. And Isaiah is amazed. He gives this description, the train of his robe filled the temple. Just the, just the hem, just the bottom part, just the edge of his robe was so grand, so big. It filled the entire building of the temple. Is that a picture of our, our great God or what? It's also a, a telltale sign to us that Isaiah is seeing something that he in his human mind just cannot describe. He cannot fathom, right? God is so grand, so holy, so righteous. He's having trouble just putting into words what he's seeing. Isaiah is amazed. He's overwhelmed. And it tells us the seraphs, which are these heavenly beings, right, that God has created, that are in the presence of God. Even these holy heavenly beings have to cover their faces because the glory of God is just too overwhelming for them to see. And they are in his presence all the time. So Isaiah, as a man, is beholding the epicness, the holiness, and the glory of our God. And like anyone who would see a vision of God in all his glory and get the full blast of that would do, we just get this image of Isaiah falling down on his knees because he recognizes in all the awe and reverence that this is a holy and perfect God. And he is not. Anytime we are confronted with the glory and the holiness of God, we recognize, as Isaiah did, this contrast, right? That God is perfect and I am not. That God is holy and perfect and righteous and just, and we outside of Jesus Christ are not. And so Isaiah has this moment where he says, woe to me, I am ruined, for I have seen the king. I have seen the Almighty in all of his glory, and I know I am a sinner. And he says, and I come, not just am I a sinner, I come from a whole people who are sinners. Woe to me, I am ruined, he says. That Hebrew word he uses for ruined, it doesn't just mean like, oh, my Friday night plans were ruined, shoot. It's not just an inconvenience, it's not even just, oh, this really bad thing happened. The Hebrew word, the way it's translated, means perished means death, means an ending. Isaiah is literally saying, I've seen the holiness of God, and I am a broken sinner. I'm dead. There's no hope for me at this point. But God doesn't leave Isaiah there. He doesn't leave Isaiah in this place of hopelessness, recognizing, duly so, his own brokenness in light of a perfect God. Instead, God sends one of his heavenly servants, one of the seraph. And they bring a coal and touch Isaiah's lips. Now this might be kind of weird for us because that's not really imagery that we're used to, right? I mean, maybe you know what the coal means, but a lot of us don't. So for those of us that aren't Isaiah scholars, the coal has three different meanings that we can apply here. We're not sure exactly what it means, but we can deduce biblically from, from the history here and get a good idea of what God is trying to tell us. First, fire in scripture, this burning coal, fire represents purifying, right? Both figuratively and literally all throughout scripture. So a coal being touched to Isaiah's lips signifies that he is being purified. Fire also represents God. We know he appeared to his people in a pillar of fire. There are fire images attached with who our God is all throughout scripture. 
So the idea of this burning coal touching Isaiah's lips can also be seen as our God saying, I have touched you, Isaiah. I have purified you, and I have purified your mouth and set you aside for me. And coals also, on the Day of Atonement in the temple, the Day of Atonement was the one day a year where the priest would enter the Holy of Holies and according to the law of the Lord make sacrifices to atone for the sin of the people. And they would bring these coals with them into the Holy of Holies. So everything about this coal points to the fact that it is of the Lord and it's symbolic for God taking away the sin of Isaiah. This coal touching his lips is God telling Isaiah, don't stay in your woe. You won't stay in your ruined state. I have forgiven you. I have made you clean. And now I am setting you apart for me. The heavenly being announces the good news to him. You are forgiven by God. And as soon as this announcement is made, God asks a question. God says these two sentences in verse 8. Look with me. God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Us is likely a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, three in one. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, God had a message he wanted to bring to his people, Israel. It wasn't a good message. <laughs> it was a message of judgment. Because Israel had turned its back on the Lord. And God had warned and warned them to turn around, to repent, to come back to him. And Israel had said no. And now he wanted to send a messenger to bring the news to the people that exile was coming. Because Israel and Judah, these divided kingdoms, had turned their back on God, he was going to send them into exile. And he wanted a messenger to go and bring the news to his people that this was happening. Now there's a glimpse of hope at the end of the news that we read. The holy seed will be a stump in the land. That's how our verse ends. It doesn't sound very hopeful, right? But this is God's way of saying, remember that promise I made to Abraham? We talked about that week one of the series. I'm still going to use his seed. I'm going to keep enough people. They're going to go into exile. It's going to be hard. But I'm going to bring you out of exile. And I'm going to use the remnant of what's left to bless the nations. And to bless you, my people. So hear that there's hope. But first, ultimately, this is a message, first and foremost, of judgment that Isaiah is going to bring to his people. But God hasn't called Isaiah yet, and he asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here, humble Isaiah has this profound response. He's not a prophet yet. He hasn't done his ministry yet. He's just a man that's seen a vision of God and is overwhelmed. But Isaiah's response to God's question is this. Here I am. Send me. Send me. God didn't command that Isaiah go, did he? When the Lord called Moses, the Lord gave Moses a task. And he said, you're going to talk to Pharaoh, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. So get ready, bud, we're going. The Lord doesn't even ask Isaiah to go in this passage, does he? 
It's almost as if Isaiah tuned in and hears God having a conversation, talking to himself. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Nobody makes Isaiah respond. But Isaiah runs up. Can't you see him like a little kid and says, Here I am, Lord. Pick me. Send me. I will go. I want to take the message. Use me, Lord. Send me. Why? If you're like me, you might, that might be your initial response. Why, Isaiah? <laughs> because I have to tell you, I wouldn't want to bring a message of judgment to my own people, right? We often think of like, the Great Commission as being something that happens out in the nations, and it does, but don't forget, brothers and sisters, God calls us to our own people. Most of us, I dare say, are called to minister amongst our own people. Isaiah is called to bring this word of judgment to his own people, and he jumps at the chance to do it. Why? It's simple. It's because of what we just unpacked. Isaiah saw the glory of God. He witnessed who the full blast of the Almighty God was. And in the face of understanding that he would never measure up, he received forgiveness. Why does Isaiah say, I will go? Because Isaiah has experienced the goodness and received the grace of God. And when we experience the goodness of God, when we see his glory, John says in, in chapter 12, he says, he quotes this passage and he said, Isaiah didn't just see the glory of God, right? The Trinity, it's the Trinity here, not just God the Father, but he sees the glory of Jesus. He sees God three in one and he's overwhelmed. When we experience the glory of our God, when we've been touched by the glory of what Jesus has done for us and received his grace, we respond in the same way as Isaiah. Isaiah can't help but say, send me. His desire, his, his innermost wanting is to respond with this glorious good God has done for him through grace and has given him freedom. That's why Isaiah says yes. He knows what it means to be freed, forgiven, and grace-filled by the Lord. And so do we if we are in Christ, brothers and sisters. So my question for us is, does our response to the Great Commission, the celebration, is it celebration? Is it an eager willingness? Do we say, here I am, Lord, send me, just like Isaiah did? That's our connection with the Great Commission in this passage. It's not just some old news from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. It is a beautiful correlation. Isaiah is called to bring a message and he does so eagerly because of what God has done for him. Are we equally eager today to stand up and say, here I am. Lord, use me. Send me. I want to tell my sister. I want to tell my friend. I want to tell my whole office. I want to tell my neighbor. I want to go to Eurasia and tell people who have never heard of Jesus Christ, please, God, let me be the one to do that. Is that how we respond? And if not, I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this morning, brothers and sisters, to come right here. We're coming to the table today. We're coming to God's table for God's people. And what do we do at that table? 
we remember. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me when he instituted communion. If your response to bringing the good news of what Jesus has done is not eager, go to the foot of the cross and remember. Receive this bread, receive this cup today, and remember what our glorious, almighty, on-the-throne God did for us on the cross. Because none of us, none of us was just in need of a little bit of help. None of us, when the Lord moves in our lives to save us, was just a little bit broken. Come face to face like Isaiah did with the reality that we are all hopeless, helpless, dead in our sin, broken sinners before Jesus Christ. And if you're not in Christ, I want to invite you to receive for the first time through faith the assurance that this table offers us through faith in Jesus Christ. That if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your hearts God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have received that salvation, brothers and sisters, remember what Jesus did for you. And let that push us to respond like Isaiah did. Enjoy eagerly saying, Lord, send me. Is that you? Is that your response today? As I was thinking about what this response looks like, I have to be honest, I, I had a lot of images going through my head. What does it look like for us to eagerly, as, as I picture Isaiah raising his hand saying, Lord, send me, right? And I had this vision, and I think it's because I really don't like it when this happens, but I had this vision of the Griffins game, or like a Whitecaps game. When, when you're in the stands, and like the free coupons are like dropping out of the sky, or like some team mascot standing there with a t-shirt cannon, and the crowd's like, yeah, I want a cheap free t-shirt! I want that blue plastic frisbee! Pick me! And you see like grown adult men jumping for free hot dogs being shot out of a cannon at them, like... Who doesn't love free stuff? We're Dutch Michiganders that want free things, right? Even if we go home and throw it away and never use it again. And I had this image of us at our silly sporting events, wanting these free things and what we won't do. Like I said, I've, I've seen adult men jump for hot dogs before. Like, we're excited and shamelessly pleading, pick my section, I want a free cookie from the stands, right? But... When it comes to taking the good news of Jesus out to the people we know that need it, how many of us would rather get on that dirty arena floor and hide under our chairs or hide under our blankets, right? Then we would jump up and down and say, Lord, pick me. I want to go. Then we would for a free hot dog. Are we willing to lose our dignity? <laughs> To plead, to beg, is our desire so deep that we want to serve our good God that has saved us. We want to tell everybody about him eagerly that we jump up and down and say, Lord, we pray on our knees day and night. Send me. Where do you want me to go? Who can I tell? Give me an opportunity. Give me eyes to see. So are you hiding under your blankets, under your chair, or are you jumping up and down for the opportunity to serve the Lord in this way? I think sometimes when we don't, we've, we've forgotten what good news we have, right? We've forgotten what the message of good news really is. It's good. It saved us. David Platt is one of my favorite pastors and authors. And I went to a conference, the cross conference, the flock goes to sometimes. It's all about bringing the gospel to the world. 
And at that conference, David Platt marveled at the Mormon community. Mormons, as they grow into young adults, every young adult is expected to spend two years serving by going, as, as you've seen them, door to door and sharing their faith with others. How many of you have, have ever received a visit from, from the people in the white shirts and ties? How many of you have a family plan how to avoid answering the door when the people in the white shirts and ties, the carols do, yeah, here we go. <laughs> right, we know them. And Pastor Platt was commenting on how impressed he was with the Mormon community because they are dedicated, passionate, giving their lives, excited for the opportunity to come knock on your door, something most of us would cower under our seats for, right? And to tell you about what good news means to them. And he says this, he's astounded that there are that many people going out with a false gospel that damns. And where is the Christian church who has the gospel that saves? We have a good gospel. We have the only true gospel. Do you remember that it's good news? Good news for your brother, for your friend. The only way to salvation. Good news that saved you. Not just for some time in the far future, right? Not just for eternity, that too. But now, the abundant life now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things we receive in the abundant life now when we say yes to Jesus. Don't you want those for the people you love? Don't you want that for your angry coworker that's maybe really hard to love, but you'd rather see that coming out of their life than the sarcasm that comes at you over the cubicle? We have a message of good news to bring brothers and sisters. So I wanna encourage you, if you are more tempted to hide under your seat, to hide under your blanket, than you are to jump up and down like Isaiah and say, pick me, God, please, I'm begging, give me the opportunity, send me. Remind yourself today what our God has done. Amen, Gabriel, send me, Lord. Remind yourself of who the glory, who our glorious God is. And remind yourself of what the good news that we, that Gabriel, that me, that, that Mark, that Wendy, that Jean, that Bob, that Kara, that Brandon, that Pat, that all of us get to take out is. It's good news. And so Orchard Hill, as we end this series, let's end by saying, like Isaiah, like Gabriel, like so many brothers and sisters that came before us said, God, I've seen you. I've received you. And now, Lord, because of your goodness and the grace I have received, here I am. Send me. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we see you, Lord. We have experienced your glory, the glory of the one and only God. And Lord, we have received your free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And we just want to thank you. We fall before you, God. We bow our hearts. And we are just overcome by your goodness, your glory, and your grace. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. And God, we thank you, too, that what you have done for us means we now get to go. We get to say yes. We get to be used for what you are doing around the world. 
Thank you, God. And Lord, we know, like Isaiah, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to go, to be bold, to sacrifice, to not know what will happen, but we trust you, Lord. We have seen you prove yourself in scripture. We've seen you promise fruit when we go, and we've seen it today in our world. So God, help us to go trusting you. Lord, I pray today for those of us who are hiding under our seats, for those of us who are hiding under our blankets. God, would you remind us of the boldness and power that we have in Jesus Christ and in walking with his family to do this. Would you remind us of the good news and would you remind us of what you have done for us so that our response would be an eager and a joyful Lord sent me. And Lord, this morning as we come to your table, we come reminded of just that. What you have done for us in your glory and your goodness and your grace. So meet us in this time, we pray. Use us and nourish us so that we are able and sustained to go out and to do the work of the Great Commission that you have called each one of your people to do. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray this. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're coming to the table. To the table of the King. And we come first and foremost remembering what our God has done for us. So in just a moment, as we get our hearts ready to come and receive at the table, we're going to take a moment of quiet so we can do just that. We can remember and prepare our hearts to receive these blessings from God. A couple of logistics for us. We haven't come up for a while, right, to receive communion. So today, this is how it's going to go outside the edges of our rows this way. You will come to the table in front of your reception to receive a piece of bread and to receive a cup. And after you do that, you can file back in the other way to your seats. But before you sit, if you would like this morning, at the end of each section, there's going to be a third person there, one of our elders or deacons or staff members. And they're there to offer a prayer for you. My prayer is that every single person at Orchard Hill through this celebration series has heard God's call to be bearers of the good news wherever we go. But if you would like to be blessed, to be prayed over, if you know that God has especially burdened your heart with that this morning, please stop after you receive communion with the person next to you and have them say a prayer of blessing. I will be here, Bob will be here, Lee will be there, and Dan will be there. We would love to say a special prayer of blessing as you are commissioned to go and to bring the good news. You don't have to know where God's going to bring you. You don't have to have all the right words to say, but we would love to pray for each and every person that wants to say yes and respond to the good news of sharing the gospel. So let's take a moment now as we get ready to receive communion, to ready our hearts with the if you need gluten-free elements, each table has a small plate of a white plate of bread. That's gluten-free bread for you, so you can come to any section. Brothers and sisters, bow your heads with me and let's take a moment to prepare our hearts and to remember what our God has done. 
because once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, we have received mercy and faith. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. But, Lord, we know we also come to this table to be nourished. God, our call to go to the ends of the earth is not an easy one. It is one that we accept and receive eagerly in joy, but we know it is not easy. We need you, God. And so we come to this table as we are commissioned to go out to receive the nourishment that we need to do what you have called us to do. So Lord, we ask as we remember and we receive these elements, meet us here in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Sustain us supernaturally through this meal in a way that we need to be faithful to go and do and be who you have called us. We love you. We pray a blessing on this time as a community remembering and receiving from you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he ate with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it after he had given thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they had eaten, he took the cup out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. We know when we take this meal, we proclaim the Lord's death until his coming again. Friends, these are the gifts of things are now ready.